Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science is now teaching us that all life is interconnected and interdependent. And spirituality and ancient wisdom has been teaching the truth of oneness for eons. So what you do to a person, you're literally doing to another aspect of yourself. And when mankind awakens to the universal truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is living in a mindful universe with Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. They are the author, authors of the new book, Living in a Mindful Universe. Thank you so much, Dr. Eben and um, Karen. Karen, you're kind of new to me. I know a little bit about Dr. Eben. I just wanted to share. I have Proof of heaven. Good. Yes, yes. I have to share this story with you, Dr. Evan. Um, I was reading this book, Proof of Heaven, your first book. Um, and it was uh, December of 2011 when my son was in the hospital on life support for five weeks. And I oh. think I read this book three times. The, uh, oh. I, was, I was in the, um, what do they call it, the ICU? with him and I, I was just reading this book over and over and over again and so I actually got the honor that was in 2011 where he did not transition he stayed with me a miracle happened and he stayed uh -huh. with me and um, years later when he was back in the hospital I found out that you were speaking nearby Really? So, yeah, you were speaking at the expo in New Jersey um, uh -huh. in the spring of 2014. So uh -huh. as soon as I found that out, and that was about 45 minutes from the hospital, he was staying at the hospital in Philadelphia. So you were about 45 minutes away. So I went and I ran and I got my book autographed. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. But I just, oh, this, this book really got me through a really really tough time in my life so thank you caroline that that is so uh we love hearing your kind of story uh all of this oneness that you are taking to the world is an important lesson and we really all have this beautiful growth uh, coming upon us so thanks for sharing that about proof of heaven thank you so much thank you so will you both please introduce yourself kind of uh karen dr Evan. i like i said i am familiar with your work dr Evan. not too familiar with karen but please share with our listeners uh, you you can pick turns who wants to go first <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe i can start and just say that um, uh, i'm a neurosurgeon i spent uh, more than 15 years teaching at harvard medical school thought i had some idea of how brain, mind, and consciousness work. And then in November 2008, I was very suddenly driven into coma uh, from a very severe, what's called a gram-negative bacterial uh, meningoencephalitis. It's basically the worst kind of meningitis you can have. My doctors had evidence, uh, even in the first few hours, that the human part of my brain, the neocortex, which modern neuroscience would all agree is absolutely essential for any kind of detailed conscious awareness, had been very effectively inactivated. Mm -hmm. uh, my disease showed that very clearly, the neurologic exams, the CT and MRI scans, the lab values, and I was in that coma for a week. Nothing should have happened, and yet 
everything happened. I had this incredibly robust experience while my brain was offline. Uh, and then came back to this world with a brain that really was very much wrecked. I had no memories of my life before. Uh, didn't even recognize my mother, my sisters, my sons at the bedside. But I did know where I had been. And over the next eight weeks, all of my prior knowledge, including all that um, time spent in neurosurgery, neuroscience, came back to me. Uh, in fact, it was more complete after eight weeks than it had been before the coma. Uh, that's just strong evidence that memories are not even stored in the physical brain. Uh, that's something we cover in our book. But uh, the, the spiritual journey, which is uh, the one that you referred to in, in mentioning proof of heaven, was one that by all accounts, uh, by scientific accounts, could not have happened. And that's why I am asked to speak to medical and surgical and nursing groups about this, because they understand how extraordinary this journey is. And my recovery uh, is as shocking as anything. I mean, when you go through the medical details of my case, and yet, to me, the deeper mystery is that anything, uh, that I had any phenomenal experience at all, um, and I had an experience that was far more real than anything I'd ever experienced in this earthly life. I've spent the nine years since my coma trying to come to a deeper understanding. Proof of heaven is more of a question mark than anything. But this new book, uh, and I'm honored to be with my life partner, uh, Karen Newell, uh, who is my co-author of Living in a Mindful Universe, uh, is really trying to put some answers to all that. And the good news is it's all completely consistent with modern quantum physics, modern science. Uh, some people are under the erroneous conclusion that modern science disagrees with an afterlife and reincarnation. And yet, in fact, quantum physics absolutely opens the door wide to the reality of this. And as you so beautifully point out in your mission, it all has to do with the oneness of consciousness, that we are all aspects of that perfect gem, of that, that God force of pure love that so many have encountered on these mystical journeys. And, and a big message of the book is that you don't have to have an NDE, uh, that any sentient being, any conscious being can come to know all of this uh, reality through a, a process of centering prayer, deep meditation, spontaneous epiphanies, what have you. But that's what we discuss very fully in the book. Wow. Thank you so much. I just want to interject real quickly. It was quantum physics. What the bleep, uh, the uh, documentary done uh, a while back, that was what awoken me to the truth of oneness, was quantum physics. So right, very science, much. Science is totally on board with, with spirituality. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Karen, please introduce yourself, please. Okay, well, I'm Karen Newell, and I actually co-founded a company called Sacred Acoustics. But before I go to, to that, I want to just share with you how Evan and I kind of came to do this work together. And so we were both um, at a workshop, actually, exploring how sound can be used to get into expanded states of awareness. And I knew he had had a near-death experience, but his book hadn't come out yet, and he didn't even have an agent or a publisher at this point. But I knew he had a near-death experience. I knew other people who'd had them, and I knew they usually learned very profound spiritual lessons. And so we're just kind of getting to know each other, and I asked him, what what profound lesson did you learn during that spiritual journey? And he looks at me with great intent and enthusiasm and says, I learned the brain does not create consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of confused. And I said to him, 
why would anyone think that it does? And <laughs> right then and there, we knew I was at kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. And yes. that spectrum is that, you know, our, our conventional science is based on materialism. And that is the belief, the belief, not the fact, that only the physical world exists and that that's all that matters. And everything else that happens to us, emotions, our awareness, um, you know, birth to death, nothing more, all of that, all of, you know, it, it's not real. They tell us that our consciousness is an illusion. And this is what so many of our social policies are based on, this science. We've, we've done this separation of church and state. And for very many reasons, that's a good idea. But on the other hand, science has really taken over. And I didn't believe in science as the pathway to all truth. And I had learned just from my own personal experiences, much as Evan needed that firsthand experience to really change his mind, yes. I had amassed a whole number of uh, experiences, most of which I had cultivated on my own. I did a lot of reading of kind of alternative texts to our usual texts, things like Kabbalah, um, uh, Theosophy, uh, anthroposophy, things like that, where people kind of took a different twist on things. I resonated a lot with these messages, and I learned that you don't have to just believe what's on paper. You can actually find out for yourself. And so I set upon a quest to learn how to meditate, to learn how to sense energy, to learn you know, things like feng shui and healing touch for animals, and it goes on and on, Reiki. And so it was in that setting where Evan was just starting how to cultivate intentionally these connections to other realms. And along those lines, we were using something that's known as binaural beats or brainwave entrainment technology. And at the time that we met, I had been working with someone else named Kevin Cossey to actually create our own recordings for this. I had amassed a huge library of, of what was out there, and uh, Kevin and I decided we wanted more, and we wanted to craft these uh, experiences to our own personal tastes. And so when we first invited Evan, he was the first uh, mortal human to listen to these besides the two of us, and when we invited him to listen to what we had created. He was actually pretty amazed at um, how he could kind of leave the physical here and now behind and reconnect to those realms that he describes in Proof of Heaven that he first touched during his near-death experience in coma. Wow, 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 wow. That is that is so amazing because I, I just, everything you said, everything Dr. Evans said, I resonate with. And I love the word you use, resonant, because that is, I was brought up in a Christian family, went, was sent to Catholic school. But from a very young age, what the dogma of, of Christianity did not resonate with me. And I'm talking about three, I'm three, four, and five years old, but I was brought up also in a household where a child is to be seen and not heard. So I couldn't say, I couldn't say to anybody, nah, that doesn't, sound, <laughs> that, doesn't sound, that doesn't resonate. And of course I didn't know the word resonant, but it never resonated with me. So my whole life was kind of seeking something that resonated. And like I said, yeah. what the bleep 
really opened me up to the truth of oneness. And when I understood the truth of oneness, that everything is one, it's connected, it's interconnected and interdependent. When I knew that in my heart, not a mental kind of a, right. yeah, that sounds good kind of, but in my heart, I knew this was truth. It resonated as truth. It made every, it just, it made everything make sense to me. Well, it's, it's so funny how people walk around with those knowings that you're describing. And I was also one of those people at a very young age who rejected that key Christian dogma um, that we're all familiar with um, that was very exclusive. It, it, it left so many people out of the equation, and that made no sense to me as a child. And I knew that deep inside. And yet so many of us are walking around knowing these things in our society. Yes. Uh-oh, you froze. Ah, uh, let's see. Let's see if you got, wait, it says internet connection unstable. Are you back? Sorry. We should be back. Uh, We're here. Yeah, I think you're back. Okay, good. Sorry about anyway, that. And anyway, people yes. like us, I think the tide is turning. And yes. all those people who are saying, you know, like Evan did before his coma, that it's all just an illusion, pay no attention to what's going on internally. The tide's actually turning, and I equate that with the rise of the feminine. The feminine energy comes from within and the materialist model is only concerned about the external. That's very masculine. And our world has really been dominated, not necessarily by men per se, but masculine energy. And when, as women, we can get more in touch with that internal energy and really model how our world can become more balanced and really recognize the internal and external as both very key, really, to our very survival. Yes. I would add to that, guys, don't worry, because uh, uh, I was very much in my head, even after my NDE, I knew that love was the fabric of this universe and had infinite power to heal. But when I would talk about it, I was in my head, you know, Harvard neurosurgeon, brain, mind, consciousness. And that's why when I met Karen uh, in late 2011, uh, it was such a gift because she really opened me up to that uh, notion of the answers lying within us all, trusting my intuition, trusting kind of the power of experience, and that resonance, that, that word that you mentioned as being so strong, is really a form of seeing how we're all part of that one consciousness. And we can come to know things through these deep uh, kind of emotional truths and relationships we have with other people by opening our, basically our heart consciousness uh, to that kind of awareness. And uh, to me, it was, it was very refreshing to, to learn that kind of uh, concept from Karen and realize that, of course, the little voice in my head is important. The yeah. voice in my head is tied to my ego, though, so watch out. Your ego is not your friend here. But the voice in the head is also part of that rational, logical, kind of scientific, philosophical discourse about the nature of reality. And yes, it's important for conveying a lot of information that we, we try to share with other human beings. But at the end of the day, the only way to really resonate and come to know these truths is to trust your intuition, go within, feel that heart consciousness and resonance uh, with others, and realize we're all in this together as part of that one mind. And it's very much a journey of kind of intuition and trusting your heart and coming to realize that we really all share a very common mission here of coming to this awakening to oneness. Now, I just want to add, now that he's brought up the heart, it's, it's not just a 
it, it is, of course, that feeling state, that knowing in your heart that you describe, but there's actually science that backs this up. And I noticed that you have interviewed um, the, the man from HeartMath, I think Howard Martin. Yes. And uh, so I know that your listeners may already be familiar with this, but just to remind you, the heart actually emits an electromagnetic field comes out the top of the head, around the body in the shape of a torus with a hole in the middle, constantly moving all directions. What's so fascinating though, is that it interacts with the heart fields around you. And so if, if you have positive emotions and feelings in your heart, your emotional state, you're actually affecting people around you in a positive way. And if you have more anger, depression and sadness or, or anything like that, you're actually affecting people in a not so positive way. And I, I, I've kind of adopted this as the ultimate golden rule. Yes. And that is where we always treat others as we would treat ourselves. And of course, in this concept of oneness, it's so applicable. But if you think of it as the ultimate golden rule, only feel good feelings in your system, you are actually helping everyone around you rise to that better kind of wholesome, joyous kind of feeling. And so it's a beautiful thing that we can all do, which is to really pay attention, manage, not con I don't like to say control, but manage your feelings and thoughts in a very kind of uh, deliberate way. And of course, people who are depressed and have reasons to be angry, yes, express your anger, get it out of your system, learn how to release those things, but then really make an effort to really every morning even, just find a sense of simple gratitude. Just that alone can make this world a better place. And if each and every one of us knows how much we're affecting the people around us simply by how we're feeling, oh my gosh, if we all literally take this to heart, that's what will bring world peace to our world. Well, Karen, you said a mouthful and it is so applicable because what I, I love heart math and it's so true what you said but it's not just the 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 field that you spoke of does not just affect the people around us it literally affects the entire planet yes. and mother um, Gaia is she's a living living being and in effect so literally when you're feeling happy and joyous the whole planet and everybody on it is feeling that much more joy because of your joy that is so so true and I'm glad you you mentioned about um, if a person's feeling depressed or down because I have to I have to tell you I have to share this I 99.9% .9 of the time am upbeat and happy <laughs> but yesterday whew, yesterday was one of those 0.01 percent of the day we got i live in the northeast in, in, po the, in the poconos Pen northeast pennsylvania the pocono mountains and we got hit with three feet of snow a few days ago and two <laughs> feet of snow yesterday now oh. friday it was complete whiteout conditions all day Yesterday was complete whiteout conditions all day. So now we have five feet of snow on the ground here. And for some, and not, I love snow. I wouldn't live here if I didn't. But I, I've been here 26 years. I love the snow. But a little lack of sleep and the whiteout conditions yesterday, it was like, I know I shouldn't let the outer world affect how I feel inner. Um, but I, 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 um, I allowed it. I, I allowed the outer circumstances of lack of sleep, whiteout conditions to just 
all day yesterday, I was like, and I know I shouldn't be, because I know this, I know, and I know that, you know, I know all of this so well, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to let it, I'm going to let myself feel what it needs to feel, and uh -huh. I, I felt like crying, I cried, I felt like screaming, I screamed, I like, like you said, I let it out, I released it, and then woke up this morning, it's like, Thank you for this beautiful, now it's not snowing, but everything is winter white. Thank you for this beautiful winter white day. Good. So, yes, yes. You let it go beautifully because you're glowing right now. You certainly <laughs> don't, be, don't seem to be encumbered by any five feet of snow anywhere. No, no, no. And thank you. Thankful with help of my neighbor and his snowball blower and my shovel, where actually I've cleared a path and cleared the driveway, cleared the car. and. <laughs> So well, we do, we do need to learn how to release our emotions in constructive and in constructive ways. We're taught that the emotions are bad, that, that that's girl stuff. Oh, you're acting like a, a girl. And it's like, oh, my God, yes, yes, we are acting like girls because we know how to express our emotions. But, but what we've been taught in this masculine kind of energy is to suppress that emotion, to not express it. That that, you know, you mentioned the children are seen and not heard. That's yeah. very common in that generation. We yes. and I know Evan was one of those, definitely. Mm -hmm. And and I think he can speak to that that from a personal perspective. But learning how to release those emotions is so, so key. And in little moments like you had with the snow, okay. You know, yes, the external world, it's a balance between the internal and external. We don't need to beat ourselves up when, when we get angry, but we need to be allowed to express ourselves without being told that it's a bad thing because the result is that we suppress those, right. those feelings and they come out in other ways that are absolutely not constructive. Exactly. We, we often share in our workshops, there is no way out but through. This is not about dodging and avoiding you know, the unpleasant things, the bad things. And in our book, uh, Living in a Mindful Universe, we cover things like loss of a child and suicide, uh, death of a spouse, terminal diagnosis, the really tough things. Yes. Uh, and we're really here to learn and teach through those hardships. That was one thing that became very clear to me in my journey as described in Proof of Heaven, but I've expanded on even more, uh, you know, in the recent work, uh, is that we're really here to use those challenges and hurdles in life as stepping stones. They are what allow us to grow. Uh, and it's by facing those hardships and difficulties, but with that much more kind of mature, higher self that uh, Karen and I in our play shops help people develop through meditation, through sending prayer, but especially sound-enhanced meditation, develop it, that observer within. That is the deep mystery of consciousness. And uh, for your listeners, uh, just to point out, the little voice in your head, and that's certainly the voice of your ego, is not who you are. Those little thoughts running away is a little more than a parlor trick. And in meditation, one can start to develop a much richer relationship with that, what we call higher soul. But your higher soul is not limited to you. Your higher soul interacts with the souls of all others. It's part of that one mind. Yes. But it's the part that has that higher view. Yes. You know, my first words when I came out of coma was, all is well. All is well, and that's very crucial to remember. But when I say that, uh, important to say that it's, it's kind of a measure of your perspective. 
And in meditation, what I try to do personally, especially when I have challenges in my life, people who I might find challenging or situations that are that seem uh, very tough to deal with, often in meditation, I can put that little voice, my ego that uses fear and anxiety, I can put that into time out because that is not who I am. My consciousness is far bigger than that. And that's the part of us that expands tremendously when we die, when we leave the physical body behind, that observer self. But you can develop that in meditation. And for me, it's very important to adopt uh, that higher perspective, to see the win-win situation that can always come out of uh, my relationships with others. Uh, and that how love, the, the healing power of unconditional love, has infinite power to heal and that is something when I have that higher perspective viewing from my higher soul I can see how all all involved in a given situation come come out for the better when we make choices out of love yes that is so so true and you, you touched upon the difficult situations and I'm not sure see I get different listeners for every show um, but um, my story touched upon all of those things you spoke of um, in 2011 when I was reading this book uh, doctors told me my son wasn't gonna live in 2000 December 2011 and but that wasn't the case like I said, I experienced and witnessed a miracle that December, and I call it the miracle on 34th Street because the hospital was on 34th Street Christmas time. And, and doctors told me my son wasn't going to, well, doctors told me he was on life support. They said he wasn't going to live. They asked permission to take him off. I did not give permission, mm -hmm. but, and what I did, I did not go back and I think I went back into his room maybe once, but I knew exactly when doctors were tell, giving me this information, and I was awake to the truth of oneness at the time, and I knew we were in our bodies. I knew we were eternal spirits. I'm like, okay, it's time for me to get off this train. I tried to commit suicide right there in the hospital waiting room in a different, and there was a small, tiny waiting room a couple of floors up from the ICU, and I took a bottle of over-the-counter sleeping pills. Um, I think I threw some Tylenol in there. I wanted to just do the trick, and I wrote a suicide note. My son was not going to bury me. I was going to bury my son, and I was also hoping that he needed a new heart and that they could take my heart and give it to him, um, you know, and um, so I was unconscious for two days, mm. and um, then they had me on um, 24 hour suicide watch. And for, and during that time, they allowed me to visit with he's my son was still on life support. Um, they allowed me to visit with him for about 30 minutes a day, supervised visits. And I remember the last time I had a supervised visit with him, I, I whispered in his ear, I said, Kyle, get better so we could both go home. That night, he pulled himself off of life support. He pulled out mm -hmm. the ventilator. He pulled out the feeding tube. All of his vital signs, everything was perfect, like he was never even sick. And doctors were like, so he and I went home in 2000, December 2000. We went home the day before New Year's Eve, and we oh. celebrated New Year's Eve together. And I said to God at that time, I said, I'll never forget this. I don't care what happens from this moment on. I'll never stop thanking him for letting me bring my son home in December of 2011. So he did go back in the hospital April of 2014. And as he was going back, the ambulance was taking him and I was going to ride behind the ambulance. I said to God, thank you. 
Thank you. That was a two and a half. I don't know what's going to happen. Don't know if I'll be able to bring him home this time. But thank you. Thank you for allowing me to bring him home that time. And so he did. He was in the hospital for three months um, in the spring into summer of 2014. And he transitioned on July 1st. 2014 but when he transitioned i was completely at peace oh, i knew, so I knew yes i knew it was his soul's decision and his time to uh -huh. go and i knew that he wasn't gone i know there's right. there's only eternal life and he's still he's the co-host of this show he told me that through That's a medium <laughs> he's very He's very proud of what I'm doing with the show, and he's the co-host. So he's always with me when I'm doing a show. He's right here. He's oh, yeah. well, that is so beautiful. I mean, you bring up several really crucial points. I think gratitude, uh, it's the it's, as Cicero said, it's not only the most important of virtues, but it's the parent of all virtues. And I think uh, that's certainly one gift that I received after my coma was knowing that the only appropriate response to this existence, no matter what it deals us, uh, is one of gratitude and, and thankfulness for all that is and all the beautiful gifts in our lives and gratitude for those hardships because they are what allow us to grow. Uh, you know, many people when you're going through the hardship uh, can't make sense of it. Uh, like why in the world, you know, is, is my son ill with this disease and I have to lose him from this physical world? Yes. Uh, but obviously, and this is something that became very clear to me, especially when uh, I found that my story was so helpful to parents who had lost children, yes. was I came to realize that in just about every one of those cases, the child was seen as, as the pillar that got them through it, even though the child might physically not survive but the soul group was strengthened through this. And when you realize that our souls are eternal, and especially uh, as we discuss in Living in a Mindful Universe, the reality of, of reincarnation, which is that we come back again and again with our soulmates, uh, all in this process of ascendance towards oneness with the divine. And the scientific evidence for uh, reincarnation is very strong. If you look at the work of Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker at University of Virginia with more than 2,700 cases of past life memories in children studied over the last 50 years, yes. where uh, the most ready explanation is actually one of reincarnation. Yes. Uh, we've got to take a much bigger view of the nature of reality and of the natural world. Uh, and it very much involves that uh, primacy of consciousness, that we're here bound together through love, that oneness uh, is the connection that is so apparent through uh, the deepest studies of consciousness, brain, mind, and quantum physics in the world today. And this world is waking up. Science and spirituality are coming together uh, over this beautiful kind of awakening. And as you are so uh, beautifully bringing to the world, it's all about that oneness, that we're all facets of the gem, the diamond of the one mind of that God force of love. So, so true. That is so true. I just, I, and I can't wait to read your new book, the book, um, the living, living in a mindful universe, which is so, that's where we're headed for. We, the world is, yes, please show us the book cover. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. There yes. it is for your listening that, audience. Yes, yes, yes. The two of us. Yes. Evan, <laughs> Alexander, and Karen Newell.
Yes, very, so, very. So, you know, yes. something that we really uh, focus a lot on in that book is it's one thing to talk about these things and make decisions about what religion we are or what religion we aren't and what we believe and what stand we take. But what we really want to make people realize is it's about how you incorporate that into how you live your life on a daily basis. It's not just, oh, I believe in this or that. What, when, what happens when you realize this concept that science clearly supports, that we're all connected as one, and that each of our actions contribute to our collective unfolding reality, that empowers each of us to realize how vital we are. Each facet on the diamond is critically important to all the rest. None of us, not one of us is insignificant. And so this is a new kind of thought. This is not something that our, at least our, conventional Western culture is used to supporting. It's about survival of the fittest and competition and, you know, who can be the best. And of course, that implies there must be a loser. No one is a loser. Everyone is important. And the way that you can really get in touch with this on a daily basis is to start to get to know your own personal inner observer. Evan was talking about the observer in quantum mechanics, how they found that at the deepest level, quantum, if you don't know what that means, means the very small. So at the very smallest levels, what they found is that it's the act of observing. It's the act of placing attention on something that creates a result in the experiment. And this is confounding to them because they want everything to be predictable and consciousness isn't real. And so it confuses a lot of modern day scientists because it doesn't match with what they've been taught. It's time for them to start to realize this is real. Consciousness is vital to all of us. Now, it's one thing to talk about it in an experimental way, right. but that helps us realize it's real. We can trust it. We've been taught to trust science first and that what the bleep movie you referenced was an excellent kind of summary of all of that. But each of us if we can get to know that internal observer, what is that? Well, that's the part of us when I first became acquainted with it very well, when I first sat down to try to meditate. It was very, very challenging to sit down and meditate because of the racing thoughts that were going through my mind. And I thought, you know, I'm just too busy. I got to get all these things done. I don't have time to meditate. This is a waste of time. But the more I learned to quiet my mind, one very useful tool that most meditation uh, practices involve is to just notice your breath. So you sit quietly, your thoughts are, are doing what they're doing, and you put your attention on your breath. It's the most basic form of mindfulness or meditation. And the breath is something that's happening all the time, whether we pay attention or not. Place your attention on the breath. When you do that, the thoughts kind of fade away in the dark, in the background. But what typically will happen is your mind will start to wander. This is your opportunity to know more about that observer because when your mind wanders, it's the part of you that notices, oh, I'm not paying attention to my breath anymore. These random thoughts are going on. That's your internal observer. The more you can get in touch with that kind of attention or awareness behind all your kind of thoughts that happen that seem to just go on and on without any you know, focus of yours, that observer is where you place your attention. That is exactly what is at the root of those experiments in quantum physics. Where you place your attention is what affects the unfolding reality. So if we're all you know, paying attention to 
all of the negative and turmoil in our world, well, then that's what we'll see. And this isn't one of those kind of new age concepts where we put our heads in the sand and only focus on the good. No, we need to find balance. We need to acknowledge the bad. We need to actually do things in our world to uh, make those things better. But along with that, we must each start to realize that spiritual internal essence. We are all eternal souls. We are all connected together. We can all feel that most readily by establishing that practice of going within. And to that end, that's where the sound technology comes in. Because for me, when I was uh, trying to quiet that racing mind, sound is what helped me do that. There's many methods out there, but the things like gongs or tuning forks or crystal bowls, those were the kind of sounds that would kind of, kind of lure me into a calmer state. And specifically, binaural beats or brainwave entrainment Actually, those crystal bowls are creating a binaural beat, a natural one. It's that sound that goes wah, wah, wah. You hear it on airplanes or trains. When we create these recordings, we, we create them very precisely to create different states of uh, brain awareness that are more related to the delta and theta levels, that mm -hmm. the ones that we're in when we're asleep or just waking up in the morning. We try to help people get into those quiet states without just sitting there being frustrated. But right. this technology also, I think Evan can add um, how it helped him get back to those realms during his uh, near-death experience. Yes, yeah, so I first uh, encountered the notion of using differential sound frequencies. That is a slightly different frequency to the two ears. Mm -hmm. uh, about two years after my coma. And uh, I, that's where Karen and I met, uh, but this was several months before we met uh, that I actually encountered this. And the reason it appealed to me is I knew, you know, that the big mystery from the medical neuroscientific viewpoint about my experience and the reason the medical community took it so seriously was the fact that this meningitis was so effective at wiping out my neocortex. That's the outer surface of the brain. That's the part that modern neuroscience insists uh, must be involved in any kind of detail conscious awareness. So the fact that as my neocortex was taken down by this very well-documented uh, damaging meningoencephalitis I had, bacterial uh, meningitis, um, that in fact that's exactly when I had the most robust expanded conscious awareness of realms that were far richer and more real than this world. Yes. And to me, that was a really deep mystery. I remember when my older son, Evan IV, who was uh, majoring in neuroscience in college at the time, came home from school two days after I got out of the hospital from my coma, I told him it was way too real to be real. Right. Uh, because to me, it was. And I thought somehow that had to be a massive hallucination that would occur when you rip the neocortex all to shreds and mm -hmm. had nothing left to produce consciousness. And yet, why was it much more real than this world? Uh, and that part was a big mystery. And so um, uh, what I wanted to do was duplicate that. Um, and so I, when I heard about differential sound frequency, what I realized 
is that by putting these uh, separate frequencies into the ears, we're actually intercepting consciousness very low in the brainstem in a circuit that arose more than 300 million years ago. So very, very early on in the rise of the animal kingdom. Uh, this circuit came to life, and it has to do with alerting mechanisms, uh, and that that is a way to modulate the dominant uh, kind of neocortical and thalamic interactions in the brain. So I think what we're doing with these differential sound frequencies mm -hmm. is basically allowing you to take your conscious awareness and set it free from the, uh, wow. uh, you know, from the, uh, basically the workings of the neocortex. Yes. Because your brain is not creating your consciousness at all. The brain is more of a filter, a reducing right. valve that allows consciousness in. All we're doing is thinning that veil and enabling you to have a far richer, more robust uh, connection to that uh, universal mind and infinite consciousness. Wow. So true. So true. What, what Karen said also about the sound, because I, I try to meditate and what, and I do try to focus on, slow my breathing, focus on my breath, but the mind will start to wonder, you know, go other places. So, but the sound definitely helps. So I use the, the guided meditations with just sometimes just that sound that you were saying, just that um, binary sound that will keep me focused on my breath, focused in the now. And it just, it really does. But a lot of people have told me what you said, Karen, about, oh, I don't have time. You know, I tell people a lot of times just uh, for me, the only medical issue I've ever had, I used to get really severe migraines and I cured my migraines with deep breathing and meditation. In mm -hmm. two weeks, after um, practicing 10, 15 minutes a day, deep breathing exercise and meditation, I never had another migraine. I mean, and so I will share it with people. Now that I don't have time for this, yeah. <laughs> Make time well, for it, it's worth it. <laughs> here's a value that I would say to those people. So the people who don't have time, I know I was there, busy project manager, you know, working, single mom, you know, it was, it was tough to find time. But here's the value. So finding that center inside, it is, is wonderful, kind of escape from the day, give yourself a little time out. But likewise, you can take that awareness of the observer. Once you have practiced, you know, for some people, maybe just a few times, for others, maybe a few weeks, you know, when you can practice enough and get awareness of that inner observer, that inner observer is neutral. The inner observer is not reactive. And so when you find yourself in a busy, uh, tense meeting or, a, or a, a, a conversation with someone where you're, you're feeling a little stressed, if you've practiced being aware of that inner observer, what ends up happening is that inner observer kind of raises its little head in the back of your mind while you're having this tense conversation, and it guides you. It actually helps you to get out of a tense situation and makes your life so much easier. And so taking a little time to do this each day is so valuable. It can just be 10 minutes to start, but it's that habit. That habit of going within will help you become more aware of that inner observer. You can also do it when you're in a commute, in a commute situation, not necessarily um, deep when you're actually at the wheel of, of, a, of a car, but right. if you're on a train or a, a bus or, you know, even if you're walking, use that time. Even if you're driving and it's the same thing all the time, use that time to kind of watch your breath, not close your eyes and go too deep, but just watch your breath, start to pay attention. It's a form of mindfulness to get into the present moment. 
just doing that will help you to get more awareness of that neutral observer. The neutral observer controls everything in our reality, but we don't have awareness of it. We, it just happens without us realizing, and that's where science is helping us to flip this view to make us realize that we're not just victims of our environment and external circumstances, we are actually the co-creators of it. And we do it together with, with um, each and every one of our souls that's connected to that God force. Um, I, I'm reluctant to use that word God in some situations because it, it brings up religion and, and you know certain beliefs about God. But what I mean by that is that force that we all create together with our collective consciousness. And the more of us who can tap into that, take sort of a, a higher view, a broader view of what's going on, we have a much better idea of why we're in a certain hardship, why something is happening. And that is what I would say to those people who are too busy, that you can really change your lives in remarkable ways just by taking time to do that in a real-time basis. It's not about sitting in a monk and, you know, leaving your children to raise themselves while you can focus inside. It's about bringing that internal awareness into our physical daily lives. Yes. And the other thing I would point out along those lines is uh, I think in our culture, uh, it turns out that beliefs, uh, by and large, 98, 99% of the beliefs in our culture, I say, are falsely limiting. They do not allow for what we really have as a power in ourselves. It turns out that one of the most profound pieces of, of major scientific evidence that our conventional materialist scientific worldview is false is placebo effect. Placebo effect has been known for more than 60 years. It's been around for thousands of years. Um, but big pharma takes it very seriously. I mean, for the last... Uh, half century, pretty much uh, every medical procedure or medication that was uh, shown to have any value had to first and foremost outdo placebo, which is roughly a 30% benefit. Placebo is just the patient's belief that they might get better, that they're doing something to make them better. Well, it turns out that probably a lot more than just 30% of our well-being that comes from modern medicine is due to our beliefs. And so when people realize they have the power in themselves, to change their beliefs, to connect with that kind of higher soul and realize how going within, taking this time for meditation, centering prayer, can bring tremendous uh, kind of focus and ability and healing. When I use the word healing, that's becoming more whole. That's what we're all here to do. And uh, as people come to realize that prayer and that meditation have tremendous benefits in their life, not just for their health and the health of loved ones, but really for all of the events that occur in their lives. And that certainly includes how they face those hardships and difficulties. Meditation going within, I've used uh, sacred acoustics tones an hour or two a day for the last seven years. Uh, I've used them to return to my NDE, as Karen mentioned a little while ago, and fully develop my relationship uh, with uh, all that inhabit those realms, those beautiful spiritual beings and, and guides. And that's a lot that we discuss in Living in a Mindful Universe is the practical ways that everyone can use those kinds of tools and going within to develop a much richer relationship with our higher soul to bring healing, wholeness, meaning, and purpose to their lives. Wow, that is so, so true. And like you mentioned, Dr. Evan, um, is love. That's what I call, I know that science 
has shown that everything is energy, vibrating at a frequency. And that energy I call God, I call love, but also God, God and love, those two words I use interchangeably. Right. And like when you're in a situation, like um, we were talking about the breath and, and just taking a few, but just doing it a little bit a day. With me, I, I do take very per periodically. I just center myself for five minutes and deep breathe. But if you're in a high tense situation, like a, a disagreement and you're on the job, you're, you're in a, a very tense situation, I just recommend for people to stop a second, take a few deep breaths and then respond. Instead of responding, you know, right away from that energy that is just kind of calm yourself. Like you said, that inner, the inner knowing, that inner being within you has all the answers. And if you take, just step back from the situation, even for a second, and take a few deep breaths, you come at it from a, from a higher consciousness and from a place of love instead right. of a place of, of anger. So yes, that is so, so, yes. That, that's very true. And the only thing I would add is, is what I, I believe I've witnessed personally is just by meditating daily and, you know, it can be 10 or 20 minutes. As I said, I try to do an hour or two, might be in the middle of the night, but it's whenever I can do it. But the important thing to remember is as you do that day in and day out for months and years, your entire mind starts to shift your brain into a way that, as you point out, uh, you know, this way of kind of focusing, taking that higher perspective when you're in a challenging situation is far more effective because your mind is naturally, because of that uh, daily meditative experience, is naturally able to just get right into that mode of connection to that higher soul so that you have access to that kind of harmony and resonance in your daily dealings, even if you're not in an active state of meditation at the time. Yes, so true, so true. So please, share. I don't know if we got off the topic, but I don't think we have. Can you share more about the new book, uh, what, what we can find in it? Well, I think it's a, a real blend of science and spirituality. So Eben, being the science guy, he, he bring, everything in there has a foundation that is related to science. And we bring in all kinds of spiritual topics such as mediumship and meditation, um, after-death communication, um, love, of course, how to deal with hardships, all of these kind of practical uh, approaches to bringing that real science of oneness into our lives. Now, the first half of the book is recounting Evan's experience when he first woke out of coma, more of his personal journey of how he was deliberately trying to explain how this could have happened, the scientists he encountered, the steps that he took. And then we really go into how all of that knowledge can be applied to each of our daily lives. Just it, it, We've been exactly on topic. Everything we've discussed is in this book. And it's a really ambitious book to both keep the science-minded engaged, but also the spiritual-minded engaged. It was ambitious to keep it on a level to engage both sides of that audience, but it's high time that we did not have science books over on one half of the room and spiritual books over on the other half of the room. And those people in a, at a party kind of 
dividing into different rooms, you know, and, and it's time to bring them together. And so we feel like this is what our book really represents. And I want to just tell your listeners about something that is completely free on uh, Eben's website, ebenalexander.com slash 33 days. You can just get to it from the homepage as well, but it's a course that we put together completely free. It actually highlights 33 concepts from the book. One each day, you'll get an email, just enter your email, and we, we don't spam, we just send the emails that you sign up for. And included with that are how to apply these concepts into your life in a practical way, much as we've been discussing, along with some of these sound tools we've been talking about. So that's all available on Evan's site, evanalexander.com, and sacredacoustics.com, of course, all of your listeners, we have a free download available. Again, enter your email, you'll be sent a link to a file. What we say is don't believe up here anything at all that we're saying. The, the real... The real thing here is to know within just how you beautifully described in the beginning of our, our time together that you know within these things. And the only way to know is to practice, to establish your own practice and, and offering you this tool to try is just one way to hopefully uh, motivate people to start down that path if they haven't already. Yes, I, I love what you just said. Uh, just wanted to say I love what you just said because I always say on the show, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a guru, guru. and I always say it, the answers you seek are not the books and teachers and lectures and all the stuff, all the tools we're talking about are great, but the answer is within. It yeah. truly is. That's where the true answers are. Yes, go ahead. Right. This is a journey of experience, and, and you're not going to get there from being an armchair philosopher. So the book kind of sets the stage. I would say the first five chapters of Living in a Mindful Universe really show what's wrong with our current uh, materialist science. In fact, it's very outmoded. It should have died more than a century ago with the advent of quantum physics, and yet it hasn't. And the problem with that materialist science is it sets the backdrop for this notion of separation, that we're all separate from each other. And Karen had mentioned a little while ago that uh, 20th century science even threw other problems into the mix with, for example, what I would say is a misinterpretation of Darwinian evolution, talking about survival of the fittest, whereas most biologists today will admit that all the success in biological systems is through cooperation and collaboration, both within species and between species. So our materialist science and its false uh, teaching of separation has been very, very damaging. Uh, in fact, if you look at the 20th century and the rise of you know, science and technology, what we actually saw was a divorce between modern science and human spirit. Which, which quantum physics actually brings back together. Uh, so it's time for them to be re-wed, and that's what this book is all about. But it goes far beyond just some uh, esoteric uh, philosophical discussion. The whole, um, uh, you know, chapters one to five, as I said, talk about the current problems with our conventional paradigm, but then the whole rest of the book, more than half the book, is devoted to how individuals can use this information going within. And we deal with some of the really tough problems, for example, the opioid crisis uh, that's killing off uh, uh, middle-class Americans in increasing numbers, just a horrible disaster going on on our watch. Uh, rampant suicide and uh, depression and uh, kind of an overuse of medications in certain settings when we really have power to do so much more by acknowledging the spiritual whole 
in our society. And I'm not talking about a lack of religion. I'm talking about a lack of spirituality. And when we use that word spirituality, we're talking about having meaning and purpose in our lives and also this profound sense of connection through the one mind, that we're all in this together. We're here to help each other. And the best way to manifest that love that incredible, overwhelming sense of love that so many have encountered in NDEs or through meditation and through uh, spontaneous epiphanies, what have you, is through serving as a conduit for that love for others in this world. And that's so much uh, about the healing that Karen and I see coming to this world. We're very optimistic about where the world is headed. And you wouldn't necessarily get that from reading today's headlines. So yes, this is all about tremendous optimism about this awakening coming to our world, which is all about bringing science and spirituality together. So, so, so true. And that's what the, that's actually the, the basis of this show is always, I always introduce how science, and it is, like you said, that old, old science that should have been done away with a way, way, hundred years ago. And I'm not a scientist, but I know. It should have been right. done away a hundred well, years why, ago. Well, that's why people like us who aren't scientists, we left it behind because it didn't yes. have the answers we were looking for. And we saw that. So. Yes. And, yeah. and the problem from the scientific viewpoint is to really start to understand the deepest structure of the subatomic world through experiments in quantum physics. You have to really broaden your notion of what is going on. The founding fathers of that field, uh, Heisenberg and Wolfgang Pauli and Erwin Schrodinger and others, brilliantly realized that consciousness is fundamental in the universe. They saw no way around it. And the ultimate statement of consciousness being fundamental in the universe is a position known as metaphysical or ontological idealism. And that is the position that we argue very strongly in our book. And I think it's the reason that our modern science has had so much trouble grokking what quantum physics is really trying to tell us is because you have to go all the way to realizing consciousness is fundamental and that the entire physical universe is a projection out of consciousness to even begin to understand this. And given that the 400 years rise of the scientific revolution started with a focus on the material world and the laws governing that world, and if people like Galileo and Bacon and Newton and Giardo Bruno, if they wandered too closely into the world of mind and consciousness, they risked being burned at the stake by the church. And that was burned in their DNA over centuries. And that's one of the reasons why materialist science has such an incredible trouble understanding what quantum physics is trying to say. Now, but it's about that oneness. I like to point out that at the core of that misunderstanding is a belief, an assumption that the physical world is all that exists. That's kind of where we started with this uh, conversation. The belief that the physical world is all that exists, that's a limiting belief right there. That is actually dogma. That has not been proven. That has not been proven in a laboratory. There, it is not a fact. And scientists are walking around, science-minded people, which I don't want to be too sweeping generalized here, but people who are stuck in that paradigm of materialism it all hinges on that one belief. It's an assumption, not a fact. And so really that belief is no different than um, some of our religious dogma beliefs that have no basis in fact, that are just simply assumptions that people have chosen to believe and structure their whole worldview around. And so these hardcore kind of limited belief scientists are, are really guilty of the same thing. That's what's so remarkable to me. 
that is so true that is so true and like you said it's it's so um old it really is because it's so when you look at to today's science modern science it it does it proves that there is a bigger reality and that we are all connected to it i love that you know and that really quantum physics proved that over a hundred years ago so it, it's it's so wonderful please share with our listeners how they can follow your work and and get in touch with you well, they can go to ebenalexander.com, like I mentioned a moment ago, and also sacredacoustics.com. And uh, Eben has a, what's your, your social media? Uh, yes, people can also follow me on Facebook. Okay. Uh, if they follow Eben Alexander MD. Yes. Uh, and then also on Twitter, um, my Twitter name is Life Beyond D. Came mm -hmm. from the old, you know, old days where you had to have a very short Twitter name, uh, Life Beyond D. But uh, people can also find me as Evan Alexander, uh, MD, on Twitter, I believe. Um, but that's where we try and post any new interviews and presentations. Uh, we go around the world giving play shops on these meditations and other talks that we give. Uh, and we try and put word out there. And then, of course, on my website, Evan Alexander. Dot com. I also uh, try and keep that up to date in terms of upcoming events uh, around the world. So people can look there on the event page, see where we've spoken in the past and where we'll be speaking in the future. And they can get the book on Amazon? Is that or, yes. at the website or Amazon both? Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Our, our, uh, the website has links to all the different providers, but you can also get it at your local bookstore or, or you know, wherever you buy books. Awesome. Great. I love this because I love having scientists and medical doctors. I've had several on the show because I love, because you have those people that, that still, are, you got to show me proof. You got to show me proof. And so whenever I bring on a scientist or a medical doctor and they're showing that this is, this is the way of the future. This is, we are, you know, steerheading in a new direction, which is more, unified and a collective and not separative and that we are one and that's how we survive we together that's true very beautifully so put true. thank you right. thank you thank you both so much for being my guest and i definitely am going to look at the website and see when you're going to be in the north because you you're in the east i think We're in virginia in charlottesville We'll be UVA right here. Yes. <laughs> All right. Excellent. How my son was born at the University of Virginia. Oh, wow. wow, that's beautiful. I lived in, oh, I love it there. This is such a beautiful area. I lived it there really for six, six years. It is such a beautiful area. Although Eben is very jealous that we don't get as much snow as you described. Yeah, I like a little more <laughs> snow down here. I, well, I miss the springs down there because when I, I remember living in Charlottesville, Virginia, or outside of Charlottesville, the spring was so beautiful. April was a beautiful month of color up right. here in the Poconos. I love it here, but April is like, ugh, you don't see yeah. not a bit of color. You know, That's we don't true. See, we don't yeah, see we're getting, we're getting daffodils and crocus and forsythia starting. So, yep, it's yes. starting now. <laughs> oh, see, we, we don't see that. I just remember, uh, uh, April was so beautiful and Easter was so beautiful in Charlottesville. It is so yucky. We don't get color until Mother's Day. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a little rough. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that's... 25 years in Boston, the springs were very oh, lackluster, but the winters were quite spectacular, so I enjoyed that. And long. Winter yeah, I enjoyed the, the winter sports and everything with my sons. We would ski and ice skate, and uh, they would snowboard or ski, and uh, uh, we would just have a lot of fun. We'd build these huge snow forts and everything. Yeah. Well, I'm coming. I love Charlottesville. I'm coming to visit you guys. I love it. Good. Well, come on down. And one other thing, while you're speaking of UVA, I just wanted to point out probably the world's leading scientific group on the study of non-local consciousness is at UVA. Oh. Uh, the Division of Perceptual Studies, uh, currently headed by Dr. Jim Tucker, uh, Ed Kelly, Bruce Grayson, do tremendous work there. They wrote a book in 2007 called Irreducible Mind Toward a Psychology for the 21st Century, and then a book in 2015 called Beyond Physicalism Toward mm -hmm. a Re Reconciliation of Science and Spirituality. Those are the two most profound and powerful scientific books on these topics that I know of. And there's so, your proof. There's your proof. You read <laughs> well, those. And thank you so much. Well, now I'm going to invite them. On the wake to oneness radio. Good. Thank you so Excellent. much. That is great. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I love, I just, this is my passion to have these conversations with people who are awake to the truth of oneness and living it in our daily lives because well, that. much that is important thank, thank you. you for having us you're thank absolutely you. right thank you thank you thank you so much